I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, I'd like, like to welcome to the podcast, Patrick Kelly. I can't my brother's name is Kelly Patrick, and so every really? single time, it like very, very much confuses me. Yeah. Patrick Kelly. Patrick is the founder of Change Point Consulting, a company that works with teams and organizations to define and align their cultures to build culture strategies for growth. Patrick presents keynotes and workshops, as well as ongoing consulting work to help organizations solve problems around their people, operations, and an ever-changing world. Thank mm-hmm. you for being here. So excited to be here. Oh, yay. I love yeah. it. I'm Get excited. the hard part out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so what was your first job? Oh, man. My first job, um, my first job was actually working for my dad. Um, he had a, a, a wire and cable business here in town. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I worked in his warehouse. Well, at first, I was pretty young, so I, my role was cutting samples. So mm-hmm. I would go with him. He was up early morning. He would do like 12-hour days. And uh, so he would wake me up with him at 530, which is... <laughs> Like a 11 year old is just the worst thing in the world. Yeah, we call it old dark, oh, dark 30 around here. Oh, man. I just, I still vividly remember the days where I could hear his alarm go off because our rooms were close by and hoping that he forgot that I was supposed <laughs> to go with him those days. He forgot you. I would just lay there and just wait. And then I'd hear the knock at the door and I just oh, <laughs> resented him so much. I like wouldn't talk to him on the drive in. Literally spent 12 hours a day cutting six inch samples of wire, putting them in these little paper things, putting mm-hmm. them in envelopes, addressing them and doing that all day. Yeah. But eventually I graduated. It was, I mean, I, I thank him now and he realized it was good because it taught me a lot of work ethic, but um, eventually I graduated and started doing small orders when they would ship out. And at one point I remember at 13 or 14, uh, I'd been there a couple of years, just off days and summers that he was having turnover with his warehouse people. So mm-hmm. I was running the warehouse. So, uh, I'm putting together, I'm running the forklift, I'm putting spools of wire, I'm bundling them up, I'm calling the the freighters to come. Uh-huh. And I just remember getting these funny, like for me, it wasn't a big deal because I was like, yeah, job's got to be done. Yeah. And these freighters would, these guys would come in, these these truckers, and they're like, I'm looking for Patrick. And I'm like, me. <laughs> and they're like, this little kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I had it all done. They're like, all right, thanks. It was good. So that was that was the first job. That and, uh, and then a couple years later, I started a lawn mowing business around the neighborhood and pushed my little lawnmower. Oh, Entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah, making like, I mean, as a sixth grader, I was making 200 bucks a week. I was so a crazy. millionaire. Everybody who talks about like having their like a lawn business, I was like, yeah, we're making a ton of money. Yeah, I was getting like 20 bucks a lawn. I had, I think, eight, and I had 10 to 12 a summer. Mm-hmm. And so one or two days a week during the summer I was busy and I'd push my little lawnmower around. But yeah, I mean, 200 bucks a week as a sixth grader that's awesome i was the coolest kid in school i bought all the cds from sam goody and (laughs) so my dad used to have um he used to warehouse uh furniture for model homes so like the designers would order everything for the model homes and then they would warehouse it and then move it all and then um like put it all together for the designers so that they could basically just bronc it and just make it 
look good. Yeah. Um, so I used to run crews for him just like right out of college. I was like eight, like I was 19. I'd come home from home on summers and he'd be like, hey, can you run some crews for me? So they were always very confused too because yeah. I'm just like this young girl like <laughs> running all these like 40s and 50 year old guys around in yeah. Spanish generally too. So like it was just always very confusing for people. But yeah. You do what you have to do. Get, yeah. Get help the family business. Got to get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Just Long days. Loved it. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background in the corporate world. Yeah. So I started um, pretty much right out of college. I actually did a, a volunteer year with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. It's like AmeriCorps, mm -hmm. Teach for America. Mm -hmm. um, I did that in Harlem. Was was in Harlem. Oh, wow. Yeah. Local. That was, uh, yeah. Or in, in the States. Usually yeah, yeah. those are not. Yeah, this was, uh, but I mean, talk about it. I grew up. Right around here, right? Suburban. This is Whiteville. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so, and then I went to school in Santa Clara in, in Silicon Valley, which was also very, mm -hmm. very uh, isolated. And uh, moved to New York and moved into Harlem and a wow. very different uh, atmosphere. And did that because I didn't know what I want to do right out of school. Also didn't really plan well because I graduated in May of 2008. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool. I was in New York when everything melted down and all those kind of fun things like that. So originally I wanted to stay in New York. I got done in the summer of 2009. There's just no jobs to be had. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Um, so I ended up moving back to town and got a job at Remax headquarters here mm -hmm. in the tech center. That's right. We so have I spent a huge Remax. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Their 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 worldwide headquarters is uh, in the tech center, and so started there on the international team and. Got lucky was just through some networking and somebody that was kind of a mentor of mine was running that team at the time and was talking to him about like, I can't find a job in New York. What do I do? And he's like, I got an open job here, but you got to move back. And so at the time it felt like defeat mm -hmm. moving back. I wanted to stay in New York, but now I look back and I wouldn't have everything that I have now and <laughs> met my wife and all the different things like that. So it all works out. That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah. So I started on the international team for Remax and my region was the Caribbean and Central America. So I got to go. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Travel all around there and. See, that's fun travel. Yeah. That was, I mean, <laughs> so she was, what, 25 through 28? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect I mean, timing. yeah. In February when it's cold here, I was spending two weeks at a time in Costa Rica and Belize and horrible. Panama. It and just sounds horrible. All throughout the Caribbean islands. Yeah. It was awful, right? And uh, the great thing is our, I worked with all of our franchise owners, the people in the, the Remax offices. I mean, there, there's a reason a lot of them were expats that had lived down there. There's a reason why they do that is because of lifestyle. So like half of our meetings were like, dude, I'll meet you at the beach bar yeah. at four. And then we can talk <laughs> whatever you want to. Yeah, like <laughs> wear sandals, okay? <laughs> I'll meet you at the beach bar. So it was great because it was going mm -hmm. around and hanging out and meeting a lot of good people and uh, learning a lot just because you have to figure it out really quick of jumping in a car and spending two weeks on the road and figuring out Central American roads and customs and so all those fun. kind of things like that. It was Awesome. That yeah. is awesome. I always joke that I come from island people. I really actually do. But yeah. I'm always like, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little landlocked. <laughs> We're super landlocked. Yeah. I know. I'm like, I like humidity. I like warmth. Oh, man. See, I, nah, I'm, I'm good without it. <laughs> um, so what was the driving force um, that made you decide to start consulting on culture? Yeah. Um, I, I really started it came out of Remax. Mm -hmm. um, after recruiting in Central America, I got promoted and was in the California region, which was our biggest region at mm -hmm. the time. And I had pretty much all of Northern California from from Monterey mm -hmm. up north. And it was really interesting because you had all these different owners, all different sizes. So even though they were under the same brand, mm -hmm. different you know, rural versus city, oh, yeah, there's a lot multiple of offices there. versus small, all, all these kind of different offices. But what really started it was 
I would see these two offices that were geographically close to each other. Mm -hmm. One was growing and adding agents and profitable, and one was failing and shutting down. And I'm trying to figure out, obviously, as a consultant, like, how do I help these? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? And realizing after looking at these two, it was culture. Mm -hmm. It was leadership and it was culture. Mm -hmm. Biggest differentiator by far, that they had the same brand, they had the same tools, same resources, and this person was killing it. Mm -hmm. um, so that just kind of intrigued me and became a student of that, started reading a lot of books, starting to figure out, okay, what is this thing? It wasn't mm -hmm. as obvious as now, like, oh, it is. Right. I was like, God, oh, it's different here, you know? <laughs> uh, and so trying to build that in and help other offices with that mm -hmm. going, okay, this is wildly important because it's not just what you have, it's how you do it. And, and you mm -hmm. want to create a community and you want to create a place that people want to be a part of. Um, so I just really got engrossed in that and tried to help our offices and was kind of getting disenchanted with real estate. It really wasn't my passion. It was, it was fun, but it wasn't really my, um, my joy, but the, the culture piece and helping on that, I really loved the, mm -hmm. the actually getting involved and in, in helping some solve some of these problems. So realizing that it wasn't just this real estate issue that, that it was only happening. It was all these companies and organizations mm -hmm. predominantly, um, I was seeing it through the lens of the millennial issue. That's really mm -hmm. what kind of got it started because it was a lot of these older boomers who were going, you know, same thing we hear kids these days mm -hmm. and blah, 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 and this and that. And just being a millennial myself would just give some insight and perspective to me that is second nature. I'm like, well, why aren't you trying this? Why aren't you doing this? And that was mind blowing at the time. Like I still mm -hmm. remember having a conversation with one of our franchise owners who was a bit older and we were talking about recruiting and he needed some younger people in there. And I had a 45 minute conversation of why he needs to not advertise in the newspaper. That was just, he's like, but the newspaper is where that's what we've been doing for 30 years. I'm like, cool. You will not get anybody under 40. <laughs> you told me you need this group, you know, just those basic conversations and um, trying to help and create that. And, and like I said, it wasn't just a, a real estate issue that mm -hmm. all these businesses and organizations were having a tough time adapting. We work differently. We live differently. We interact differently. Mm -hmm. And we have to start thinking about these things differently. And I think growing up in the technology world, growing up with some of these changes, mm -hmm. it's just natural to me that, hey, you need to adapt. We need to think about this differently. And the more and more that product becomes commoditized, that mm -hmm. there's really no difference between products. We can copy things mm -hmm. very quickly. The biggest differentiator is your people and the culture and how you make them interact and how you get them to interact with your customers. Right. Um, because culture is very tangible. Yeah. Like, um, I have a question about that here in a little bit, but uh, I have a dental office that I work with and um, they're, they're, um, their manager really like just 180 this office. And you literally can tell walking in the door. Yeah. Like the energy is different. Yeah. Like she took this, I mean, they were doing fine. They always made money, but she took this company and created this amazing culture and it, you literally, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel the energy. You can feel that people want to work there. You can feel like they're, you feel like they're all invested in the business yeah. and that it, it affects the customer. Yeah. And I think people don't understand that the culture and the way that people interact inside a business affects how they are on the outside. Yeah. I mean, it. I see it a lot that I think maybe they kind of get that, mm -hmm. but they're still not fully invested. I would mm -hmm. say most organizations just fully aren't there yet, but mm -hmm. it really is simple. So the, the biggest thing that I, when I talk about culture, a lot of people still, I would say a lot of senior leaders still see it as like, we're going to talk about trust falls or we're going to have like how we're going <laughs> to do like learning. get to know each other type <laughs> of things or, or it's the ping pong table type of thing. 
And, and my whole thing is, as we were talking about, is, is strategy, like building culture in as part of your strategy mm-hmm. to accomplish your goals. Because it's one of the things I always say in my keynotes. I'm like, hey, who here has had a job that they just hated, mm-hmm. right? And everybody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. Like, how motivated were you to work there? How excited were you to wake up? Oh, and how did that affect your relationships and your spouse and your kids and every other it's miserable it is miserable and then people also have a time where either a job or a team that they worked on where they're like that was the best Mm. and you're excited and that's what culture is is how do you create an environment that you get your people to do the best work that they can every day Mm. that allows them to do their best work Mm. that they feel engaged that they want to do a good job and it positively infects affects the rest of their life yeah yeah, you come home and you're not miserable, right? Like you don't come home and go, all right, I'm drinking eight beers no, literally. and leave me alone. Yeah. When I left my last job, like I was drinking and I was angry and like it was not pretty. Yeah. And I left and I was like, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's huh. why I was such a tyrant. Like yeah. I hate, like I was just done by yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. And more and more people. I mean, I think when you look at that, it's an interesting dichotomy. It's It's something that I think millennials get talked about or they, that they're not mm-hmm. loyal or that uh, that they're really high maintenance. I think what it is more is they're not settling. Mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't leave a job after a year. There'd be a stigma that everybody would say, how are you going to explain it on a resume? Well, there was also pensions. I don't get those anymore. Pensions, yeah. <laughs> this doesn't happen anymore. There were so many things that companies could dangle over you that like, we own you now, right? Mm-hmm. Like cool, we, we suckered you into this job mm-hmm. and it's miserable, but you can't quit now because it's going to look bad. So we own you for at least three to five years, right? Mm-hmm. And now people today are going, no, I'm good, right? They're making they're making life choices over money, over comp, over a lot of other things mm-hmm. is that quality of life is way better than how much I could pay. I can't tell you how many of my friends and peer groups have turned down jobs that paid exorbitantly more mm-hmm. because they're like, I like it here. Yeah. My quality of life is great mm-hmm. and I can golf once a week or whatever it is, or right. I can take my kids to do whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the bigger thing. It's not that, you know, they're, they're unloyal or that they're unwilling to work hard. It's, I want my life to be great. Mm-hmm. I want balance. I yeah. want synergy. That's yeah. our friend. I don't want to be miserable every hour that Stephen I'm outside Crawford of work. Says. Yeah. And it's so funny because I always, I always say I'm unemployable at this point. Yeah. I'm sure running my own business for six years. Yeah. I like my freedom way <laughs> too much. I think about that too. Working on somebody else's schedule, that's just not going to happen. But that's, I mean, those are the things that like these organizations can adapt and change. They're just not wanting to. I mean, this idea that you have to work on a certain schedule. Mm -hmm. Now get it. Like you want to be responsive to your customers. And if you're a baker, you can't just pick and choose what time you want to show up. There's, there's certain things like that. But for a lot of jobs, a lot of different organizations, figure out ways for people to work best. I mean, that's that's a pretty simple. I got a really good friend of mine who is probably one of the smartest guys I know and uh, just unbelievable. He's a, he's an entrepreneur as well, but mm-hmm. doesn't do anything before noon, rarely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is just not a morning person. He's up, but just mm-hmm. his prime time is 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, my, my friend Christy's like that. Christy yeah. has been on the podcast a couple of times. So right. she's, like, she's like, I had meetings at like 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pulling teeth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for him, he's he's super. Now, if he's in a normal work environment, like you got to be here from eight to five, mm-hmm. he's going to be an awful employee, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In that context, versus how do you work best if you're responsive and get it done? Mm-hmm. That's that that should be the, the, you know all these these issues that we talk about. They're really like basic. Mm-hmm. What I think it comes down to is uh, people have a tough time letting go of control. Right. I think for a lot of senior leaders, they 
they went through the grind mm-hmm. and now they feel it's their time to give it back. Mm-hmm. It's like college hazing. That's right. Like they're, I, I got hazed as a freshman mm-hmm. and now I get to give it back to you. It's so funny because managers, and we can talk about managers, managers make money on everybody else making money underneath yeah. them, right? Yeah. So that's like their entire job. <laughs> Yeah. It's like if you didn't have that job, what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> right? Your entire job is to like have a gr- like grip yep. on all the people below you. Yeah. And it's like an iron fist. And I'm just like, I don't, I just don't get that. Yeah. It, I mean, I get that. If, if your role as a manager to get the most out of your people, mm-hmm. then the way that you should do that, and again, how everybody operates, nobody loves being told what to do. Right. Nobody. Right. People make other decisions in their life without yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, I mean, it's it's this whole idea of empowerment. A client I'm working with now, they're they're refocusing their entire culture on mm-hmm. empowerment, which is we don't have managers, we mm-hmm. have leaders, and the role of a leader is to mentor and facilitate decision making, not to make decisions. Mm-hmm. If you are a leader, you don't make decisions. Is actually what they are striving for, mm-hmm. because yeah, you resource. We all buy houses and decide to have kids and decide to get married and make all these and feed car- ourselves and. Like we do all those things. Yeah. And yet somehow Some then of us we... better than others. Yeah. <laughs> Verbal at feeding myself, yeah. but it just is what it is. But then it's, yeah, then we get in the confines of an office building. It's like, yeah, we don't trust you to make a decision. Just leave my brain in the car. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, I think it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because you could have very strong, empowered people, but if they're put in a, in a culture that limits them, they're just going to a either quit or they're just going to conform and be like, okay. So even though they would take chances, they would be better employees. They're just like... All right, fine, whatever. I'll just. I definitely it. got like that in yeah. one of mine. I mean, I'm obviously extremely Type A. Yeah. Um, I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. Like I end up taking over stuff wherever I am. Yep. But if you can't, if you don't let people do that, then they get bored. Yeah. Right. They get bored. They get frustrated. So yeah, right. they'll go down one and two. They'll become a disruptive employee and quit because I've they're seen those just two bad apples. Right. Just because they're so, it's just not a fit. Mm-hmm. Or as I said, they become, you know, they become like a beaten just dog apathetic. who's just okay tell me what to do and then and the flip side of that i can't tell you many conversations with leaders like we can't seem to get our people engaged and involved and we want to hear decision making and uh, you've had 15 years of culture where you have suppressed everybody mm-hmm. you now just in one offsite or one meeting going okay we want to hear from you I think everybody's going to go yeah all right <laughs> like it just doesn't happen uh-uh. you know 95 percent of people that i, I interact with don't feel comfortable expressing what they actually feel at work. Mm-hmm. And it's not anything necessarily terrible, but that's a good idea or that's, mm-hmm. why are we doing it this way? Or mm-hmm. I'm frustrated with this. They just, they feel that if they speak up, A, they're not going to be listened to or mm-hmm. they're going to be punished for it. Mm-hmm. I had, because um, I was the tax manager for many years. Um, so I would train people and I had to learn how to communicate. And yeah. a lot of the time they were younger than me. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those those millennial Gen X cuspers, like I'm right on like right on the edge. Yep. Um, and I was telling I was telling my partner at the time that um, you know, what this, you know, new employee felt about things. Um, and her response was, This is business, we don't do fillings. And I was like, Nobody's gonna stick around. <laughs> like, I pretty much walked out like Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I know where we're going here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I think yeah, the, the, the more that I think you can, the more that you can engage, we were talking about this earlier, the authentic self, right? Mm-hmm. The more that you can be who you are, I, I hate the term and it's it's dying slowly, thank goodness, is work-life balance because it's, yeah. I, I just have always seen it's like 
you have to be these two different people. There's the personal mm -hmm. side and then there's the work side. Mm -hmm. And if they're always balancing and in conflict, of course mm -hmm. there's going to be issues. And everybody wants to make sure their personal is good. And if it's violating, because of our flexible schedule, the more you can just allow people to be one person. Again, it's trust issues of like, hey, I know you answer emails after 5 o'clock p.m. because we just live in a connected world. So if you need to run out for an hour in the middle of the day, Okay, you need to go to the doctor, you need to pick up your cocaine. Don't be like, make sure you get that on PTO. Make sure you take that out on PTO and check in with me if you need, like, be a person. Yeah, why right? are we micromanaging yeah. people's lives? Yeah, like, trust them to get the job done. Set a target mm -hmm. and allow them to get there. But I think going back to managers, we have too many bad managers who don't know how to manage. Mm -hmm. And so the easiest way to judge if an employee is good or bad is did they sit in that seat for 40 hours this week? So it's like, it's just so antiquated. Like yeah. anytime I hear somebody talking about that, I'm like, yeah. why? Yeah. Um, Stephen Crawford, um, who's one of my favorite productivity people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Stephen, yep. um, but he talks about work-life synergy. Mm -hmm. So that's what we've been using is work-life synergy. Yeah. Um, because I might get up at 6 a.m. and do, and do emails mm -hmm. and then take my daughter to school and then go lift and then come back and shower and then yeah. get work done. And then I might be doing emails on Saturdays because I need to or because I just need to get my box clean from my own sanity. Yep. Like when we do that, we're creating our own schedule and we're deciding what's important to us mm -hmm. and how to get stuff done. Yeah. And we get to choose that. Yeah. And it's I might the best. just bug out at 2, 2 p.m. and go lift. Like yeah. it just depends on what my day looks like. Yeah. But I know what's important to me and I'll get my priorities done. Mm -hmm. I think – yeah, you talked about the entrepreneurial journey in the last four years. There's no way I could go back to just that eight to five because I do the same thing. I mean, I plan it out at, I'm usually up at 5.30 or 6, right? Mm -hmm. I'll crush out some emails if I need to or whatever, go to the gym, go run a couple errands in the middle of the day or something mm -hmm. like that. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I still get all my stuff done and I'm way more productive. I mean, I, I see this the idea that there's too many places where perception is more important than reality. That's right. Where, That's interesting. Yeah. Is, quote that one. <laughs> <laughs> I see it all the time where... The perception of looking busy or productive mm -hmm. is more important than mm -hmm. otherwise. I have a friend who uh, he was like a senior finance guy at a big company here in town. Um, but he's like, I have three or four hours of work a day. Like that's realistically, but I have to sit here. Um, so he has an alter ego he calls Shuffling Steve, <laughs> where uh, where he'll be like, yeah, it's great. Um, he just he has like a. a cube or whatever where he's kind of isolated a little bit um, mm -hmm. and he just is like i just watch a lot of youtube videos but if i hear people coming i start shuffling papers and kind of like rattling around a little bit so it just sounds like i'm busy or like i'll do the occasional mm -hmm. uh, he'll grab a stack of papers and walk quickly through the halls like he's going somewhere but he really just does a loop um my brother there's... my brother <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because my brother who is a rocket scientist by the way he's a rocket engineer um, he was telling me he would do the same, like that same thing. He's like, I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah. So I'll just take a piece of paper and like take it somewhere. And then he'll go back to his desk and get another piece of paper and take it somewhere. Like yeah. he would do the shuffling Steve yeah. thing. Yeah. That is so yeah. funny. There's like, there's articles I've seen that like, if you have papers in your hands and you walk quickly, like you're determined, it like gives out the perception you're busy and you're, you're like, I got to, you know, go here. So he would just literally do that. It was like a circle that he said it was around his building and he would just do the circle, walk quickly and then just come back and like fire up, you know, the who live from Athens, 1979 <laughs> on YouTube and be like, okay, this is the rest of my afternoon, I guess. Right. That's so and that's, funny. But those people then end up getting promoted, like the perception. And then it's, it's like this, this double negative because mm -hmm. 
not only does if that's allowed to happen, anybody that is productive sees that mm -hmm. and is like, really? That person's going to get guy? a promotion? That, that guy. <laughs> that, that guy? So that person goes, okay, well, I'm out of here because mm -hmm. we're, not a, we're not a culture based on merit. We're a culture based on perception. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the companies that can let go of that control, that can say, we hire people because we trust them and we believe they can do their job. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hold you based on the job you do, mm -hmm. not just perception. They're killing it. Mm -hmm. And you feel way better, as you said, because it's, if you got a boss and a manager that's like, you want to go work out at 9 a.m.? Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Knock yourself out. Get, get your stuff done. As long as we don't have a meeting or something like that. Yeah. You want to work from home? Okay. I have your phone with you so that if I need to grab you, that you're mm -hmm. there, but do it. Yeah. It's the best feeling in the world. It is the best feeling in the world. And I find it's actually funny. I even have, so I hired a VA and the other day she was like, I'm sorry, I wasn't logged in today. And I'm like, you have a life. <laughs> Absolutely nothing I've asked you to do is on fire. Yeah. And it won't be yeah. because nothing that we do is an emergency. This yeah. is not emergency medicine. We do taxes. Yeah. And planning. Like it's not on it's not on fire. Yeah. Or if you're an organization where you have urgent things, be clear on those. Okay, mm -hmm. these are urgent things. We need your help. Like same tax. Mm -hmm. If it's April 10th. You can't be like, I think I'm going to take a couple of days off right now. Right. <laughs> Unless all your stuff's done. Unless your stuff's done. Then knock yeah. yourself out. Cool. Um, but we create bounties around that stuff too. Like we're not letting people send stuff in on April 10th. Right. Correct. Um, and I think that that's the biggest thing. The, the, the thing that I see most within organizations um, is this line that I, I heard a while back at Wallet Remax, conflict arises when expectations differ. Mm, I love that. All conflict is mm -hmm. a variance of expectation. Mm -hmm. like globally everything, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when you see conflict from manager to employee or whatever it is, it's a variance of expectation. Oh, I was expecting you to do this. Mm -hmm. They did this. And yet what usually the biggest issue is they never had a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that that was urgent. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, the, the example I always give is, is because we leave things too vague um, is the word probably. Mm -hmm. For some people probably is like, 80% chance will do it. Uh, you know, unless something major comes up, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be there. Mm -hmm. For some people, it is a deflector word, which means like 10% chance. Like they use probably as a word to just be like, stop talking to me. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll probably do that. I'm, <laughs> right? Everybody knows what the word means, but if you have somebody that's a 90% talking to somebody who's a 10% and they say that they'll probably do it, mm -hmm. there's going to be an issue because the person's going to go, you said you'd probably do it. And he goes, yeah, no, I said I probably was going to do it, which means I'm not going to do it, right? <laughs> And it's the same thing I see when companies create core values and all these things. They just make these generic words. But they don't actually mean anything. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to define it. They don't like, okay, integrity, great. 90% of companies have that as a core value. What does it actually mean for us? How do we actually uphold that? What, do we, what does that mm -hmm. mean between coworkers? What does that mean between clients? What does mm -hmm. that mean for the community at large? When we say we're going to operate with integrity, what does that mean? How do we live that? Yeah. Right? And then if you do that, if you actually define that, now you have something, A, that you can hire on, you can build into your hiring practice. Mm -hmm. And two, you can hold people accountable to it and then fire people if they don't uphold it. Mm -hmm. Now you have those people that, you know, the Shuffle and Steve are the people that, I mean, he wants to be productive. It's just, he's like, I'm doing my job, but I got to be here for eight hours, right? So he spreads it out instead of just being like, cool, I'm done. If you need me, uh, I'll be Watching at home. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't talk about it, right? The most used world in, word in corporate America is busy. Mm-hmm. Like everybody says that. You meet in the coffee lounge oh, or whatever. Ultra busy. Hey, how's it going? Oh yeah, just so busy right now. Yeah, just mm -hmm. so busy. I'm like, really? Are you? Are you? And it's the culture of busy too. I've even had people be like, You want more clients? I didn't know that. I thought you were super busy. I was like, based on what? 
it takes me 24 hours to respond to you? Oh, no, that's a, that's just good boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> I set firm boundaries. I, yeah, I yeah. have really good boundaries around, you know, my day. Yeah. It's too crazy. Okay, we're going to go back to the questions now. <laughs> um, so what shifts are we seeing in the work world today? So somebody actually said, um, I heard this last week, that there's four generations in the workforce right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, I'm Being a millennial, I, I'm... I, I get tired of the generation talk because I think it's an easy uh, deflector. Mm-hmm. The The reality is at the core, we all want similar things, right? We're mm-hmm. all marching towards. I think we kind of focus too much on um, how we're different. So the, the the bigger thing that I see, and, and step back when, when people talk about a millennial issue, mm-hmm. I was like, you don't have a millennial issue. You have an adaption issue mm-hmm. because this generation is working the way that the future will work. Mm-hmm. Mobile interactive, mm-hmm. 24 hours. So so I, I, I see it as, A, how do we find common understanding that we can all get behind? How do we find a common vision, common goals, common direction? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it as like kids. My brother is four years younger than me, um, so we fought all the time. Mm-hmm. But if we had a project or if we were doing something, we mm-hmm. wouldn't fight. We fought mm-hmm. most when we were bored. Right. And it's amazing how that still happens in organizations where if you're not all marching to the same place, then you get bored. And so you get into office politics mm-hmm. and, well, Drama and, and these kids and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so you you just, you, you cause that infighting. I think the, the, the other big thing we got to get away, and I see this way too often, especially with the, the four generations thing, it's too much of a right versus wrong conversation. And I think it's a right versus wrong conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of well, here's why I'm right, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Because we've always done it this right. way, right? <laughs> or other way, I mean, same. It's why millennials go the other way. Is millennials look up to whoever and be like, okay, well, you're wrong, and, and here's you're why. miserable, and <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, as soon as you start a conversation with that, you shut down. Mm-hmm. You're not going to listen to anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think it's maybe a larger thing. It's we're we're kind of at that point in the, the country right now where there's not a lot of civil discourse going on. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, and it's because as soon as you're labeled something, mm-hmm. then it's, well, then you're obviously in it. Like whether you're left or right, if you mm-hmm. talk to, for a lot of people, you hear that they're the other side, you're like, well, pff, not listening to you because obviously you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I see that too often. It's instead of having a right versus wrong conversation, figure out what it is that we find common and let's find a common direction and then let's get behind a that. common goal. And then same thing, we're going to how you work. Cool. If we know that we're getting there. Figure out a way to get there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, my way might be different than your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can figure out the direction and whatever way you want to get there, mm-hmm. let's do that. It's I, I do this every once in a while on a keynote where I'll ask somebody, I'm like, okay, what, what's your favorite food in the world? Like if it was your last meal on earth, what would you have, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll describe something and I'll ask somebody else um, and they'll say it, right? And mm-hmm. it's usually two different things. And then I'll ask the group. I'm like, okay, so who's wrong? And everybody's like, it's not, no, no one's wrong. It's just, that's, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Same thing of how we work and how we interact. Like it's too much of a right versus wrong conversation mm-hmm. instead of saying, these are my strengths and my skills. This is how I operate. Mm-hmm. Let's use those and, and actually mm-hmm. be better as an organization. Yeah. You, you do your best. I'll do my best. Yeah. The rest of us will do our best. Yeah. And let's figure out how to properly communicate. So I know it's the same thing as, is drivers versus amiables versus mm-hmm. analytics. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of know who somebody is and you go, oh, okay, well, I know you're a driver so that when you come in here going, we need to do, 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 and da, 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 
it's not that you're like trying to attack me. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I know that's mm -hmm. your style and we can talk this through and go from there. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing within generations and how you work. It's like, okay, I know that you're a night person in this. And okay, so let's figure it out and mm -hmm. we can adjust from there. Yeah. Um, and also back to the kid analogy, um, if the kids have a common goal against the parents, they'll they'll definitely figure out how to work together. Find a common <laughs> enemy, right? That's It's like, I say that organizations, like don't make the enemy internal, mm -hmm. like between employees, make it your competition. competition. How do you make them the bad person where it's like, yeah, let's team up to go get them. Not, <laughs> there's too many people that are um, invested in their own personal stock than the company stock. Mm -hmm. They're willing to put the company stock at risk if that means a bump in their own personal stock. Yeah, I was my husband is um, is interviewing at a new company, and he was like, "Yeah, they have like really low turnover." I go, "In which generations?" That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's the data I want. Yeah, because if it's low turnover at the top, that I means it's yeah. stagnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In fifteen years, you can get promoted. Yeah, and Ugh. I was like, "Yeah," and that's what I wanted to know. I was yeah. like. Did you ask about across generations? Yeah. He's like, no. He's yeah. like, that's a really good question because I want to know: Are they keeping millennials? Mm -hmm. Are they keeping Gen Xers or mm -hmm. slight Gen Xers? Because we're culture based. Yeah, we're lifestyle based. Mm -hmm. That's a good indicator. I also think as organizations too, I, kind of like thinking about the the world and the environment today is very rarely is somebody going to be at your organization ten years. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a minority. So instead of trying to force that to come back, which I still see a lot of organizations trying to build that loyalty, mm -hmm. play the rules of the game now, which is if the average in your industry is somebody stays, you know, under 35 is two years. Mm -hmm. How do you get them to stay three? Mm -hmm. And during those three, how do you get them to be really productive? Mm -hmm. Because if you can add that extra year, now you have a 50% boost on your competition. And if they're engaged, if they're loyal during those three years, mm -hmm. they, you don't have to retrain. You're going to, beat them. Mm -hmm. So I think I think you start looking at maybe smaller goals mm -hmm. is let's not aim for gosh everybody's nobody's here 10 or 15 years anymore. Okay, that's really not going to happen. That's going to be 5% of your employee mm -hmm. base. Um but if if we know that they're going to be there, how do we make these the best 3 4 years that they're going to be here possible? I love um I've started asking my team what their goals are. Mm -hmm. It could be leaving. That's totally fine. Yeah. You know, oh, I want to run my business in the next I want to run my own business in 5 years fabulous yeah how do we get you there yeah and if you and if you invest in people they're gonna say a lot of nice things on about you on your way out and you'll be able to fill those spaces really quickly yeah. right because they can say hey i know this person that would be a great fit for this place yeah because or they might have a similar goal or you know they might do the you know do this job better than i would um but thank you for getting me where i am mm -hmm. and i'm ready to go it's like just like it's like kids again like we're graduating them into their lives mm -hmm. And if you can do that for adults too, I think a lot of the time you find people will be even more engaged because you care. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a question that I'll ask some organizations. Like, I think a great organization would be if every single employee said that they were going to quit six months to a year before they did mm -hmm. and were open and honest and could share and talk, right? Because mm -hmm. that's really what it is, is nobody decides when they put in their two-week notice, nobody woke up that morning and went, you know what? I'm going to quit today. Yeah, they've been done for a long time. They've been done for a while, or it's been a conversation for six months or a year, or even longer. How do you 
create an environment where at that first point that they're maybe starting to feel upset that you can have a conversation because usually what triggers it is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if it slowly builds over time, you just get to a point where you're like, I can't be here anymore. Investors. Yeah. And again, it's the trust issue of, of if I say this, I'm going to be a black sheep or I'm going to be something else. Why not have a culture where, yeah, everybody feels engaged that you're involved in their process. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, all these leaders that are upset that people are leaving their organization, have you ever left, left a job before? Oh, you have? Oh, for career progression? Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Funny how that works. So weird. <laughs> so weird. Um, I was talking to uh, my friend Jim at Intuit, Jim Buffington, um, this last week. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I was like, tell me about like, like, I didn't even know. I was like, what do you do in Intuit? Like, yeah. what's your job? And he's like, and he like basically gave me a 10, a 10 minute answer because he, he was done in his original job there. And Intuit was like, are you staying or are you leaving? And he's like, well, I'd like to stay. And they're like, let's find you a place. Like, so they literally, he's just hopped jobs. Yeah. Like, or he's created departments and handed them over to whoever was doing it, would do it better. Yeah. And like, he's just building things within and to it, you know, or handling projects that would be a good fit for him. So he doesn't really have a job description. Yeah. He is just the project taker or the solution maker or whatever i'm guessing he's a, a valued employee he's who, extremely yeah. valued employee yeah. because intuit said we would like to keep you yeah and he said okay this is what i want yeah you know i don't want to do this and they're like okay let's find you something else i think it's for too many organizations the idea of like a career path is like here's the road right which is um like yeah here's your next promotion next like and mm-hmm. here's duh, 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 duh. Mm-hmm. and for a lot of people it changes right? yeah we 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 take different careers, we take different avenues. Mm-hmm. Why not, if, if you only give your employees one road to march down, they're mm-hmm. going to look for exits right. to other companies. So why not build those exits within your company? If mm-hmm. they're a good employee, but yeah, exactly that. Um, okay, you're done with that. You want to try this out? You want to explore that? Mm-hmm. And yet it's kind of, once you're down that road, it's, well, that's all. So it's either this or... You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. And and it's just a, it's a mistake because they're just going to leave, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're tired of that role and there's there's some crazy statue. There's we're, we've built a system to where we're actually encouraging people to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn released a study that you say have so much data right on people mm-hmm. that they took um, a class of twenty like people at twenty two to thirty two mm-hmm. and they took all their users and uh, the people that stayed in one job for those ten years right out of school versus people that changed job roughly every two years mm-hmm. so they had five jobs within that ten year span. They found that the people that were leaving were making 50 to 75% more in salary. Isn't that crazy? And again, it's not money's the biggest issue, but we want loyalty, but then a lot of companies only give a three to 5%, you know, or 10%. And oh, then somebody else calls them and be like, hey, yeah, we'll get, you know, mm-hmm. here's what's going on over here. We've created an environment where it is more profitable to be disloyal. Yeah. My husband um, has been at his job for about 11 years. Mm. And if he had job, job hopped, he'd be making... 30 to 50,000 more than he makes yeah. now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there was a I have a friend that worked uh, for a bank in town and um loved it. They uh, they they got acquired. And uh, so he started getting calls the recruiters know that that's usually a, a prime mm-hmm. argument when a bank gets acquired. And he loved the bank. He'd been there 12 years, same thing. And all these recruiters he's like, "No, no, I like it here. I like it here." But, you know, just a couple of them he's like, "Yeah, all right. I guess if you pay me, uh, you mm-hmm. know, like a big number." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Great. Yep, that's within our range." And he's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> That's what I've done. That's uh, actually what I've started. I've started doing. Um, I'd get a ton of. I still get a ton of recruiter calls. Yeah. You know, are you looking for a job or whatever? And I'll be like, Yeah, if they'll pay me two fifty. Yeah. Literally, my job is like, 
125 maybe. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, if they'll pay me 250 And they're like, okay, we'll go see. Like, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should have asked for 300 Like, right? Yeah. Like. It's crazy. It's crazy. Re- re- reward loyalty in those instances. Mm-hmm. Because here's the flip side of it too is so so they save some money on him, whatever, for those five or seven years. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to have to have recruiting costs. Now, whoever they bring in, they're going to be paying him probably that salary that he's the, getting in the other place because they know that that's market value now. Mm. So it's going to happen either way. Why not make your people feel rewarded and good and yeah. say, we built a great culture. We want you to be a part of it and we're going to mm-hmm. reward you properly. Nobody yeah. wants to leave a job. I mean, deep down, I think everybody seeks a place that they feel connected, that they enjoy the work, that they feel they like what they're team. doing. Yeah. And the only reason they leave is... is because something like that is broken, right? Or they get an exorbitant... Or bad management. Yeah, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so nobody, nobody is like, yeah, I cannot wait to quit a job and have to restart over again. <laughs> yeah, and I like do this every two my years. Commute and meet new coworkers. Oh, it's like the best thing in the world, mm-hmm. right? So like, come on, you already have an advantage that if you got good people, figure out a way to keep them. And that's, that's the whole thing with cultures. Don't think of it as just the trust falls. Culture should be something that you feel, as you said, within the the dentist office. That you Mm -hmm. walk in, that you feel it, that people feel engaged, and it's a part of your strategic plan. Mm -hmm. If you've got a three to five year strategic plan of how you're going to grow, you can have the best financial budget in the world. Doesn't mean anything if you don't have people to execute. Right. The amount of money you're going to spend on replacing people. Yeah. I mean, that's a business I've thought about getting into is recruiting. I'm like, oh man, you're paying, like, recruiters make a ton of money and the people are changing all over the place now. I know. But there's a big difference. And I always talk with a lot of my clients about this. There's a big difference between recruiting somebody to work for you mm-hmm. and having people who want to work for you. Mm-hmm. So wildly different things. You can convince somebody and, and you can recruit somebody. But the issue is, and I see it a lot, is they'll say what they need to get an employee in the door. Mm-hmm. And again, 15, 20 years ago, they've been like, I got you. You got to stay here at least three or four years or it's mm-hmm. going to look bad. And now people are going, oh, no, I'm, okay, mm-hmm. six months. I'm, no, this is what you said it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. That totally happened to me. Yeah. I went into a company that sold me a culture, yeah. literally sold me a culture that was not true anymore. Yeah. Like it had been the culture, um, but then they brought a new CFO in and the culture had completely like was on the like verge of changing. Yeah. And so I watched the decline of the culture. And I was like, this is not what I was promised. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. And I told my recruiter, I'm like, this is what happened. That culture they saw, they they sold us on? Yeah. Not true anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Glassdoor, and obviously that's a big piece. And you got to mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt. I always tell people the bigger thing they need to be worried about is LinkedIn. Because, especially, you know, here in Denver, it's mm-hmm. a big small town. Yeah, it's a big small town. You, you can't pretend to be something you're not like you can't have a nice corporate work corporate recruiting page on your website that has like the stock image photo of like four people laughing be like we care All about our people and, yeah. and, ages and like and... <laughs> we believe in our because people are gonna discover that and and i said with linkedin for most organizations in town i either know somebody who works for you know mm-hmm. somebody who used to work for you or mm-hmm. know somebody who is connected to somebody who works there mm-hmm. And so when I reach out to them, which everybody does, hey, what, what was it like to work there? Could you connect me with someone? So I'm kind of interested in this or that. And they tell me, it's awful. Oh, my God. The, it, the culture is terrible. Am I going to believe that? Or the recruiting person who calls me, up, we really care about our people and we invest in you. And uh, I'm going to believe that person. Right? Yeah. And, and too many organizations just think that they can bluff their way through it. Mm-hmm. And we're just in a, in a new work environment where that doesn't hold up anymore. You can't. People will leave. 
people mm-hmm. will discover mm-hmm. it gets out there. I actually had a recruiter that I was working with at one point. Um, they sent me to this job interview and um, the firm I worked in before was um, we would do 55 hours during talk season. And then I had all this PTO after that. So mm-hmm. I would work 30 ish hours a week during the rest of the year, mm-hmm. 30 to 40. Um, and this, this place I interviewed with their standard is 50 hours a week. And one of the questions they asked me was, would you still work if you won the lottery? And my answer was, uh, no, no, I would not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem. Not up, at least not in the beginning. Yeah. Right. The recruiter called me and left me a message about how I could better answer those questions in the future. And I left her a message and I was like, don't call me again. <laughs> like I'm not a lying about how often I'm willing to work or how much I'm willing to work. Yeah. Like, why would I lie about that? Yeah. Like you, you want me or you don't want me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, your answer is supposed to be, uh, yeah, I just dreamed that when I'm 75, <laughs> that I'm still finishing tax returns. <laughs> <sighs> right. I was just like, <laughs> I was supposed to lie about how many hours I want to work. Yeah. Like you didn't tell me it was 50 hours a week year round. Yeah. I have little people Also, and that's... I'm looking for work life balance. This is not, this is years ago, but yeah. that's not work life balance. Right. Also, that's kind of a loaded question because the question should be, do you, nobody, nobody in the right mind would be like, do you want to work 60 hours a week? I mean, maybe a small, small section, but most people are like, no. Yeah. They were like, well, this don't. is great. We only work 50 hours a week around here. I was like, the question should be, what? <laughs> what, what excites you? What would excite you about wanting to work 50 hours a week? Right. What would make you want to work 50 yeah. hours or 60 what, hours yeah, a week? Yeah. What would be so engaging yeah. that 50 hours a week would be? Because there are people that do it that don't feel like work. That, you know, you, me, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm i more productive in the hours mm-hmm. that I work. But mm-hmm. if you find the right motivator, mm-hmm. if you find the right connection, and, and it really, again, it comes back to the manager too. Because if you built a if you build a good relationship with the person that's above you that believes in you, that cares in you, you're going to want to go to do a good job because you don't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if it's somebody you care about, you're like, okay, I, I want to do a good job for our team because it means a lot. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really where this makes or breaks as a culture is a lot of the, the organizations I work with is we can create a plan, we create strategy, we'll, we'll, we'll create a vision alignment, but it comes down to what are the daily interactions? Mm-hmm. Because that's where it gets won or lost. And that's where it all breaks down. The CEO can get up and talk about the importance of core values and where we're going and vision direction. And then everybody's just like... And if your manager that you have doesn't follow that, mm-hmm. then you're like, cool, I'm out of here. <laughs> Sounds good. Because I think even if you, because if you do that, even you're creating even more misalignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So choose, right? Choose to be all in on creating a really good culture yep. or just choose to not. Yeah. Because the the mismatch of alignment like yeah. along the organization is going to be a disaster. Yeah. It's one of the biggest things I work through with, with organizations is is really the, the tangible piece of, okay, you have this idea of a vision of a culture you want to create. Mm-hmm. Have you created the right structures and boundaries of actually like practices mm-hmm. in order to make that happen? Um Two examples is one actually a CPA company where um, they wanted a lot of their managers to mentor their younger people a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big initiative. Hey, we want to give back because those younger people, they're going to be your role. We're Mm -hmm. going to move you up. So we want you to spend some more time mentoring, you know, not necessarily in the projects, but helping guide. Mm -hmm. And they got to their yearly review and they didn't hit their numbers. That's why I left my last (laughs) time. Here, train and and mentor all the people, but we're not going to bonus you. Correct. Because you didn't hit your metrics. Right. (laughs) So then everybody goes, great. So I guess what I'll do next year is, again, goes the personal stock versus company stock. Mm -hmm. They're going, great. It's going to be better for my personal stock if I don't do mentor at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is going to hurt the company, but versus another company that I saw on on the other side where they firmly believed in 
taking time where if you don't take your PTO, mm -hmm. they'll charge you for it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I think they get three or, f three or four weeks a year. Mm -hmm. And I think if they don't take at least two or something like that, or three, whatever days they fall short, they'll charge people for it. Which I thought was awesome because they're, what they're saying is it is important that you disconnect and take time off. I mean, and if you so don't, much about it. Yeah. And if you don't, then there's going to be punishment. So it, 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 they're reinforcing it. Same thing that happened. There's this big conversation right now about um, unlimited PTO. Mm -hmm. And all these studies that are coming out of like, oh, p companies with unlimited PTO, they're actually taking less. So isn't that great? Because, you know, companies, mm -hmm. what really it is, is you have to mimic from leadership is saying, yeah, great, unlimited PTO. If none of your bosses or manager ever take time off, mm -hmm. then everybody's like, are we, we're not, should I, no, we don't? Okay, mm -hmm. I guess I'll just not take time off, right? right? You think, have to mimic it. Well, I think you have to mimic it, but also people work better within boundaries. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not saying, oh, you can never take your PTO or yeah. you don't have any PTO or you have unlimited. You give you give the amount that works best yeah. for your company and your people, right? Yeah. You can even ask people, how many, how much do you want? Yeah. You know, how much works best for you guys? And just totally. kind of create a policy around that. Well, it even goes to a conversation I have even around benefits. Like, you got to get more creative with benefits. Um because you don't know what really motivates some people. Right. Some people are men motivated. Some people are time motivated. Yeah. Motivated. Some people want gifts. Yeah. Some people, yeah, want education. I mean, mm -hmm. it, kind of all across the board. I mean, the, the amazing thing too is when you give people a choice, there's less room for them to complain. Right. Right. Like at the end of the year, do you want a 5% bump in pay or you want two more or three more PTO days? Mm -hmm. Here's your choice. Um, an example I use all the time too is, Companies can actually save money. You don't have to keep throwing money at all these issues. Mm -hmm. um, there's an example I always use of, of if you gave everybody within an organization a $240 bonus, mm -hmm. that day you just say, hey, great, here's what you got. Probably appreciated. You're going to pay a lot on you know bonus taxes. You're going to get half of that. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's like I'll a nice dinner e out with <laughs> the family or whatever, one meal at wherever. Uh -huh. um, I guarantee you it will not have any change on their productivity. Mm -hmm. um, their vision of the company and within three months it'll be completely forgot versus if you took that 240 bucks and you said okay hey we know you work hard here so we're going to pay for your netflix and your amazon prime account so that way when you go home you can do all the things you want to do that mm -hmm. if you're at work and you need to buy stuff because you're busy just buy it and it'll be sitting on your door when you get home we're going to do that just to make it a little nicer that same 240 dollars mm -hmm. that's what both of those or cost they'd be like delivery or yeah you know like, this is awesome my company a cleaning service those little so things go, options. oh man, this company is awesome. $240 just in money versus thinking creatively goes completely different. And I think that that's what it comes down to is figure out what people are really motivated by. Mm -hmm. Don't make it a right and wrong conversation, which still comes up, mm -hmm. right? Another example I always give. Pick uh, a box. Is what? Or you, they can just pick a box. Pick like, a box. Which one would you like? Like, so yeah, CEO who's or, or high level managers who's in their 50s, I know you love 401k match. Mm -hmm. But if you're 23 and you have $60,000 in student loans, how much do you really care about stu 401k match? Right have now. a student loan match. Same money out. If you're going to pay five grand a year to, into everybody's 401k, mm -hmm. why not offer that and say, hey, we'll help pay down your student loans, which I've used at a lot of uh, young adult conferences and different things like that, or um, the Colorado CPA Association, they have mm -hmm. young professionals. And I always uh, share that idea. And people are literally like, oh my God, I would love that. <laughs> like I would work at a company as long as I needed to if they did that. I'm like, cool, you wanna solve your retention issue? Mm -hmm. There you go, do that. Offer to pay down their student loans. You're already paying it in other ways. They will be there for eight or 10 years. So address what address what keeps people up at night in your business, right? Like, cause the student loans might be yeah. keeping people up at night. Yeah. 
it might, yeah, student loans, kids, time, like whatever it is, right? You hit on those, it, it you create loyalty. Okay. That, you just answered my what, what does the current workforce want? Yeah. Um, but we also talked, I want to talk about location. So oh. um, Patrick and I were getting coffee and we were talking about um, people, companies relocating. Yeah. And how it just doesn't work anymore. No. Yeah. I mean, again, 30, 40 years ago, if the company moves you or decides you're going someplace more often than not, you're just going. That's, that's what I, cause it's again, the social stigma around it was, I can't just quit and this. And especially for Colorado, this is a lifestyle state. People move here for lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And 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 then they make it work. Steven. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make it work. Exactly. And and I, like, I know I, 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 it frustrates some people a lot. I talked to a lot of leaders and people. I'm like, listen, if you really expect anybody to be productive after three o'clock on a Friday in Colorado, you're out of your mind mm-hmm. because if they're it's, gone, they're checked out. If it's the summertime, they're ready to be on a patio drinking a beer mm-hmm. or they're heading up the mountain so they can go skiing in the winter or mm-hmm. whatever it is. That's, that's kind of the lifestyle here. Right. And if you are hard and you force them like, no, we work till five. And again, some circumstance, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're open, you got to do that. But people are choosing and putting lifestyle above jobs. Maybe it's because we're in a obviously super low unemployment. It'll be interesting to see when the next recession comes. Mm-hmm. You can't be as choosy of like, nah, I'm going <laughs> to quit. Um, but we are in we are in an employee market. Mm-hmm. And whether you like that or not, you got to figure that out. And, and that's my whole thing is, okay, so you let them go at three o'clock on a Friday. You really, Yeah. You think they're doing anything from three to five o'clock anyway, right? Shuffling Steve's out, <laughs> hanging out and watching Shuffling YouTube. Shuffling Steve's, yeah. Like, and, and the thing above and beyond that, those two hours, you are stealing from them. Mm-hmm. They're not being productive to your company. All they're doing in those two hours is hating your company a little bit more and thinking, how do I get out of here? Not just of the day, but how do I get out of this company? Because I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty basic stuff. Again, it goes to the idea of control and I need to see you there 40 hours. It's just arbitrary and dumb. We, mm-hmm. we are living in a world where we're not production based, mm-hmm. where one hour of work doesn't mean you make nine widgets. Mm-hmm. We've all been there where in like two hours you crush like 10 hours worth of work. You're like, I was just like, whatever that movie is with Bradley Cooper where he takes like the pill and he's super productive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it was a dumb movie like eight years ago. But yeah, we, if, you've, if you're in the right mentality, mm-hmm. you can crush things. And if you have the right technology, yeah. right? So technology is changing how we work. Yeah. Um, I had a midnight conversation with my last Uber driver about this. Oh. Because um, he was like, he's from Nigeria. Okay. or No, he's from Ethiopia. Um, and his parents own a, re- a restaurant. Um, and he was talking about how people don't work as hard anymore. And I was like, do they not work as hard? Or do we just have things that do some of the manual labor for us. Yeah. Right. I just got back from a, an accounting conference, right? What we, our product, tax returns, bookkeeping, all of that is pretty much going to be all AI'd in the next five years. Yep. Like that's into its goal. Yeah. Right. We have to do things that are higher level now. And I was explaining to him that the technology has taken the data entry, Te- you know, technology has, is, and it's going to, yep. and it's going to continue to, to do that. Yeah. Like we could completely automate a bookkeeping process at this point and be like, yep, got a good, good job. Yeah. So we have to use our brains more yeah. and we have to do more consultative services. We have to move that way. Yeah. It's adapt or die. 
and the accounting in the accounting world. I mean, there, yeah, the, I mean, accounting is going to change completely. But you know, I even think it's it's been happening for a while. How many jobs did Microsoft Excel put put people out of jobs? Right, like basic computation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the things that took a long time to do. Mm-hmm. You could put in this spreadsheet that. <laughs> Right, pick right? a function, and nobody looks at anybody who uses Excel today and be like, "You lazy, gosh, you're, not, it, oh. you're not using the calculator, right? You're not." <laughs> Where's you're your not, ledger you're, paper and calculator? Right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Like, yeah, I could dig a big hole in the backyard with just a shovel, or I could get a big machine that mm-hmm. does it in one fell swoop. Am I lazy? No, I'm just trying to be more efficient. F- yeah, and I think again, going back to kind of the millennial idea, is we've grown up in that idea. I think it was. Um, uh, Moore's law mm-hmm. with the, the IBM that he said that over the next whatever that computing power will double every 18 months. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, no way! But at it, for 45 years, that happened. Better, 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 mm-hmm. better. The speed of change is right. just getting more. It's just growing rapidly, faster, right? And so you have a lot of kids that grew up in that world where it's okay. We did it this way in six hours. Let's try to figure out a way we can do it in four. Mm-hmm. What if we could do it in two? Right? It's not lazy. It's not. They don't want to work hard. It's efficient. It's the human. Humans approve, improve on things, right? Yeah. That's what we do. If we didn't do that, we'd still be living in caves. <laughs> With no wheels. Yeah. <laughs> no wheels. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that probably happened. There was like an old dude that some young some young guy invented the wheel and old guy's like, kids. <sighs> wheels. Just carry it like we carry it. What are you? <sighs> so lazy. It's probably true. Yeah. Literally. I, I mean, know. I bet every technological thing, mm-hmm. right? Like when electricity was invented, mm-hmm. a kid who grew up in a house with electricity versus a grandparent was probably just like, You're, mm-hmm. you just flip a switch. We used to soak ourselves in kerosene and almost burn the house down every week. You're not you're not very strong. <laughs> you're not very strong. I know. And I was, I was telling my Uber driver, I was like, you realize the entire purpose of Uber right now is to put branding around rideshare. Because as soon as the non-driver cars come in, They'll have the market share. Yeah. That's the purpose. Mm-hmm. You're going to be obsolete. Yeah. It's not about work harder. It's about work smarter. Yeah. And he was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things change. I mean, the world changes. And I think that the more that you can get on that, the better. So I got to figure. We've just been talking. I need to have <laughs> not. I'll probably ask you a question. Um, I think we've talked about. So what are some of the biggest obstacles to creating and maintaining a culture? Um, the biggest obstacles that I see in, in really kind of creating and maintaining are two different things. Mm-hmm. Creating is, is actually that is, is understanding what it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It seems like, I think for a lot of people, it's a very nebulous, kind of a nebulous right. woo concept. Yeah. yeah. What, it, what is culture? It can be all these different things. I think the more that you can be absolutely clear of what makes us different, what we do, mm-hmm. who we want to operate, mm-hmm. um, I think is is very clear. Like in town here, Davida has a very strong reputation mm-hmm. for its culture. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you talk to, it's either that place is awesome and it's great mm-hmm. for the people that work there. And for a lot of people, they're like, that place is a cult or it's weird or uh, there's no way I could do it. I love them mm-hmm. because they're absolutely clear on who they are and how they interact and how they operate. Mm-hmm. Too many organizations, I think, when they think of culture, when they're creating that vision is they somehow think they need to be something for everybody mm-hmm. instead of being like, this is your, like the example I always give is if, if you're a company like our culture is we eat oranges, mm-hmm. that is what we do. Then be firm on that. And don't be upset if somebody applies and like, I don't like oranges. I like bananas. Like, okay, well this isn't a fit. It's also, it's self-selecting. Yeah. Right. Right. But too many people say like, oh yeah, we're a culture that eats oranges. But then they're like, oh, you eat bananas. Yeah, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll work around it. And then you look around and be like, 
we nobody is eating oranges. I thought we said we were going to, right? And it's a very simple way. But if you're going to create that vision, be firm on it. Mm-hmm. Be very clear and inspire people to engage in it. And then I think for ongoing to to keep people engaged in it is you have to be real. You have to be authentic. You can't pretend to be something you're not. Mm-hmm. It's one step to get up there and it's a you know CEO to present the here's our mission, here's our vision, but it can't just become a poster that hangs in the lobby because culture is the feeling you get when you walk in the office mm-hmm. towards your desk, not the lobby where there's a poster. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time. I'll ask one of the questions I always ask employees when I do kind of my survey and research is where do you see the core values? Mm-hmm. And for 50%, they're like, I don't know what the core values, you know, I'm like, like how, and it's not that it should be a test that everybody should know that it should be something that you know, and you feel and mm-hmm. is a it part should be of it. integral to everything you do. Yeah. And Every just, day. just make sure that your, your structure line, do, does your mission, vision, values, do they tie to behaviors that you've established? Um, do they tie to the goals that you're trying to accomplish as the organization? Do the structures and processes of our organization match that as well? That's how you create culture. If you think you create culture by changing floor plans or putting in ping pong table or like you're, you're way behind. Mm-hmm. And there are still a lot of organizations that are doing it. I know it's become cliche, but um, I was talking with somebody at the downtown Denver partnership and they were trying to keep people companies downtown, but they all want to move to Rhino or these other places because they can't recruit good talent. And they think the reason is, is because they don't have a cool enough floor plan. I'm like, oh, that's definitely not it because I've not met one person who's like, well, I hate my job, but I've been here 18 years because there's a ping pong table <laughs> or I get free crappy coffee in the break room. Like that is what's keeping me around. <laughs> You get yeah. to smell the folders on the yeah. daily. Or that it makes like, me so happy. I have a stand-up desk. Like that those those are good for a month or two. Those are resources. And then those wear off like anything else. Mm-hmm. So create a culture that is something that people can feel. Because the other thing about that too, I, I went through this exercise with a client where I was like, okay, why should somebody work here? Mm-hmm. What makes you unique? What what how are you better than the competition or even any other industry? Right. Mm-hmm. And we went through and just listening writing a lot of them down, mm-hmm. this, this, that. I'm like, great. Which one of these couldn't, or how many of these could be copied by your competitor in a month or instituted right away? Mm-hmm. Check, 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 check. Oh, okay. 95% of the things we listed as why you're unique could be copied next month by any other company. Mm-hmm. So figure out what makes you truly unique that nobody can copy, which is the emotional, which is the, 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 the feeling that you get. That's not easy. It's hard. That's why mm-hmm. I do the work that I do is mm-hmm. you got to be willing to put in the effort, right? The, the metaphor I always give is working out. Like you don't just think I want to get in shape. You actually have to do it and then do it over again. You and don't work out once and do go. Do it heavier. Yeah. And then do more reps. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have to continue to add on to it. Yeah. You don't work out once and have a salad and go like, well, why don't I have a six pack? <laughs> like this obviously doesn't work. I'm giving up. <laughs> Some people do that though. <laughs> But I see those organizations like they'll be like, can you come in and do like a, a half day seminar with our organization and then think that that's it? Like, cool, we've got our culture figured out. I'm like, OK, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, actually, I have one more question before you for you and then we'll do the last question. Cool. So um, how does culture building work with distributed teams? Oh, yeah. Like remote and yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Um, working on that with a client right now who they're all remote. Um, it requires much more intentionality, again, clear focus mm-hmm. and understanding. 
um, and, and, and really building that relationship within the team and especially the mentor where they want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, but if you create a vision that everybody's behind, mm-hmm. it it's getting people to do the right thing even when nobody's watching. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's what a strong culture is, is how do you get people to do the right thing even though they're in their own office where it's easy to slack or whatever, but they, they feel engaged and they want to do it. Um, building great, strong communication, mm-hmm. creating opportunities and events to interact. Um, I would even say having monthly check-ins just to see how people are doing, mm-hmm. what's going on, what can we help with. You start facilitating some of those conversations, you can engage people because mm-hmm. it can get lonely. I mean, you know, like if you're if you're always working from home, there's there's some interaction piece. Mm-hmm. People crave mostly. I mean, I know there's a lot of introverts, but even still, in introverts, people want human interaction. Yeah, we do. They want relationships. They want to engage. So focus on, even though you're you're dispersed, creating those strong relationships, mm-hmm. and you'll get people to to engage and, and be a part of the journey. I love it. Um, I have a client who has a distributed team um, and they'll have, they'll just do Zoom calls mm-hmm. where they're all in there and they'll all just be like working or handling their things or whatever, but they're all together. Yep. I think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Yeah. People I've even seen um, some organizations that are like half distributed, half at, a, at an office. But if they ever do a meeting where somebody isn't there, mm-hmm. then everybody has to be on a Zoom call. Even from your own office, like I'll be sitting in my office next to you, next to these person. We're all in the same one, but we're all in a Zoom because they want equal footing for the people that aren't there. But they feel like they're actually part of it. Because we've all, I mean, I've been on like conference calls and things where you're the only one on the line and everybody's in the room and you're just like, this is you're sitting just on the phone like, I guess they're all, you know. Yeah. They they said if anybody is not there, then it is a mandatory Zoom or, or video call so that everybody has equal footing. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's it's small things like that that even if you're away, you're saying we respect you enough and want make you to feel like that you're a part of the team. And, An equal part. Yep. Regardless of where you are. Yeah. I love that. All right. So before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Easiest way for people to find me, uh, probably my website, mm-hmm. changepointconsulting.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. Those are the two big ones that, that people can find me. All right. Um, what is the one thing a company can do today to improve their culture? The one thing that a company could do today is start having some real conversations. And what I would say is that for every man, every person all the way down, have a monthly meeting mm-hmm. that is honest. It's not just business that just says, hey, how you doing? What What's going on? What do you think? What are we not doing well? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we need to improve on our culture? What are you frustrated with? What are you angry about? Start doing that and stick with it because for the first three or four months, you're going to get the, yeah, no, yeah, all good. Totally. Yeah, no, just, just plugging away. Busy, busy. Yeah, no, no, I'm good, right? The defense is there just because they've never really felt, mm-hmm. you know, okay to talk. It's it's the conversations they have with their spouse or their coworkers that they trust. But if their boss has to go, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm good. But after three or four months, if you show that genuine interest, if you show that you really care about them, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get a, well, I'm, I'm a little frustrated with mm-hmm. whatever. I think the more that we can build those authentic relationships and and honest conversations in, it is amazing how... Most of the things that I uncover and work with organizations and fix on culture are not big things. They're literally small things, but they're things that nobody felt comfortable enough to talk about. So therefore they didn't change. And again, it's not always blaming the manager because you don't know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So how do you create 
a culture and a conversation where they can just share those small things. And, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be great if, you know, my, my daughter on Tuesdays, she only has a half day and it's hard because then we have to figure out and this mm-hmm. like, okay, well, just why don't you work from home a half day on Tuesday? That's not an issue. Like mm-hmm. small thing like is a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. You, it's small things are either going to make people stay or they're going to make them leave. And so figure out what those are, have genuine, honest conversations do it for six months or a year mm-hmm. and you'll be amazed what comes out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you also recommend that those managers or whoever's having these conversations also be vulnerable? Yeah. So they can say, Hey, you know, I noticed this week that, or, you know, I noticed this month that we're having problems with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that I saw it or, yeah. you know, or... it should actually start with the manager. Right. Because if you don't got to be human. Yeah. If, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're, manager is not willing to be vulnerable and open up, mm-hmm. then you're not going to, you have to mimic, right? Mm-hmm. You have to share those vulnerabilities and be like, yeah, actually I'm really struggling with this and this, and I'm worried about this and mm-hmm. I got this going on at home. You hear that from your boss, which it, it'll feel a little wor- weird at first. I always yeah. say it's kind of like, um, I remember being in middle school and seeing one of my teachers in public mm-hmm. and it felt like weird because they were in shorts, you know, right. and I'm like, you shouldn't you be here. Shop? So weird. <laughs> uh, you're human, right? Um, but you have to get over that step mm-hmm. and start creating those relationships. And once you do that, you're like, oh, yeah, they're a person too. And they have issues and frustrations and things that I pin on my manager that I think are their fault. Maybe they're having limitations too from the person above them. Mm-hmm. Or they're facing their own constraints of, oh, yeah, it's not necessarily their fault. I thought it was, but maybe it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it gives people the freedom. Yeah. And also the ch- like to make changes too. Yeah. If I come to you with an, if I come to my manager or you or whoever with an issue, you can say, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, what's the solution to that? Yeah. I bet you have a solution for me. Yeah. And if you don't have a solution for me, I'd love to have you create one for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And it gives them more ownership too. Yeah. Have Create a culture where, I mean, everybody says this, but where you get your best ideas from the people below you. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people, people that, on the ground. Yeah. They're the ones that are interacting with the customers most. They understand the changes that are going on in the market. Um, like it, it's you, you can be up in a plane, like looking at the battlefield, mm-hmm. but you can't feel the earthquake or what's going on down below. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can call the shots from here, but you got to know what's going on here and actually have an honest conversation. Otherwise nothing changes. Although you're, you're a yes organization that looks out in 10 or 15 years and going, why are we so antiquated? Why are we so obsolete to compare to our competition? Mm-hmm. Oh, because we didn't adapt and change. We didn't listen to anybody. And we've just been doing business as we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And the world's changing quicker than ever. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll go do something else. Oh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant. Be abundant.